Okay, today I'm going to speak about letting go. And um, one of the reasons I'm going to speak about it today is because a couple weeks ago I was talking to Dan over there about attachment and aversion. And, and uh, we didn't come to any conclusions, but we just, uh, I came to the conclusion it would be interesting to talk about because a lot of people talk about letting go and don't really say very much. And I guess we have to let go of that. So, in thinking about letting go, we have to think about the Buddha's first talk. And when he gave his first talk, the Dhamma Chaka Pavatana Sutta, he said, life is ultimately unsatisfactory. And a lot of people disagree because they're having a good life. But a lot of people agree because life isn't what they expected it to be. And then he said, the reason it's unsatisfactory is because we have desire. And desire causes attachment, and desire causes aversion, among other things. And it's the attachment that really causes us the most problem, or the aversion, because there is nothing to hold on to that doesn't change. So in that one moment, when it's exactly the way you want it to be, in that very next moment, it's different. And you have no control over that. And that's why attachment sort of leads us in the direction of dissatisfaction and suffering and wishing things were different than they are. So I'm going along and I'm doing a little extra reading on this. And I'm going, yeah, you know what? So far, it really sort of all makes sense that the very things that we really are attached to maybe before we got so smart, were actually designed to keep us alive. That we required water and food, so we had a sort of an attachment to water and food because we realized it would allow us to live a little bit longer if we had that. And then we went into shelter and clothing, and that's really good too. And then when we got into like the 20th century, we went into medicine. Now, like a lot of people are attached to medicine, but many of them can't afford it because of the pharmaceutical companies or because they don't have insurance. And so we're sort of stuck with that now, this attachment to things that we have no control over. So I, I like the idea of being attached to the necessities of life because it allows us to continue. And then we have this aversion to the things that could end our life, like poison snakes, or bears, or lions, or tigers. And then there we are, and we have this aversion to them because they will kill us, and we have this attachment to food because it makes us feel good, and we get to experience a day without hunger. And we're going along going, yeah, yeah, okay, it's all working well, but now those very attachments that allowed us to live better also include a Gibson guitar. And if only I had this new Gibson guitar, my life would be so much better, and I could live so much longer. And, and so now we've included a lot of stuff that may not be necessities into our attachment model. And, and we keep consuming and acquiring, and, and we have even more and more attachments 
And there's like no end. Humans are not set up to be finite. We are in process all the time. So, so what did the Buddha say about this? What, what did they talk about this? And I, I found two wonderful quotes that I can only um, paraphrase because I didn't memorize them. But one was by a famous abbot of a Zen monastery, John Dido Luri, L-O-O-R-I. And he said this, the reason we have attachment is because we are separate. Now, that may not sound profound when you first hear it. But I went, oh man, this guy's got it. That's the deal. We can't be in relation to something and be one with it. We have to be separate from all the things we're attached to and separate from all the things we have aversion to in order to have attachment and aversion. Now, in the Zen tradition, there is an answer. Okay, and it's, it's not getting rid of your computer. You know, it's, it's, it's not visiting Amazon.com. Those things are just temporary solutions to our attachment and our aversion. But what he said was this. He said, it's meditation. He said, it's dissolving self into that present moment experience of your meditation practice. When we find ourselves simply being breath and nothing else, and past and future have collapsed. And we now have the direct experience of the interconnectedness and the interdependence of all phenomena. And the person that owns and the thing to be owned have now become simply the same thing. And there is no attachment. And there is no aversion. Because there's no one to be attached to something that doesn't exist separately. Now, this is so cool because it means we're all on the path to non-attachment, even if you don't even think that's important or part of the path. But once you get close to enlightenment, and let me explain my definition of enlightenment, you know, it is the interconnectedness and interdependence of all phenomena, a direct experience of that doesn't have to happen in meditation. It can happen on the beach. It can happen on a moonlit night. It can happen almost any place. But oftentimes we disregard it as not being important or maybe being an aberration. Maybe we shouldn't have had the extra clams with that sauce that night. And yet, and yet it happens all the time when we just sort of merge into the greater cosmos, the thing we've always been a part of, that we had to leave behind because we're human. Now, being human is really a gift, and we should be very happy that we made it this far in evolution, that we have evolved to the top of the heap. We are no longer just food for the rest of the animals. We have done things that nobody could even have imagined, like changed the direction of rivers and built bridges, sent humans to the moon, in a rocket ship. I mean, just unbelievable. hundred years ago, they would have thought you're on drugs. But we can just look and find the pictures and the movies of us walking on the moon. So being human is special, and it has so much potential. 
But the problem with being human is that we have to be separate from everything in order to function. And that's what the self does. That's what our personality does. Our personality is set up to use the stuff, not be the stuff. Okay? To use the stuff. So we start in a very innocent way. Our parents give us a couple words. Chair. Mom. Dad. Well, before we had those words, we were the chair. We were mom. We were dad. But now we had to be separate. And they were pushing us away from them, giving us the tools to understand the world through language. And the language is just a representation of something. But it's an arbitrary representation. The word chair has nothing to do with the form of the chair. It has something to do with the way we think about the chair. We think in words. We think in pictures. And if I say chair to everybody here, chances are the little picture that comes up in our head will be unique to us and will not be similar to other chairs. Except now I have the idea of chair, and I think of Dan and his chair, and it comes right up. I know what chair I'm thinking of. Then we continued our education, and we got mathematics. We got to think in abstract ways, never known before. We could have three oranges and three apples, and it still makes six. Now, how could that be? But they assured us it was all okay because it made perfect mathematical sense. And then we had geometry, we had algebra, We had all sorts of ways of looking at the world in abstract ways, measuring them, understanding them in so many forms. And each time we learned something new, it made us more and more separate. And that separation is the basis of our attachment and our aversion, according to this Zen guy. And I know, after reading a little bit more about that, that to me... Absolutely, it makes perfect sense. But this practice of meditation, in particular samatha meditation, tranquility meditation, it allows us to leave behind the duality and come to the unity. See, when I give talks at churches and other religious venues, there's this big emphasis on we're all one, You know, that diversity is just an illusion. We're all one. Drives me nuts. Because I'm not one with them. I'm connected to them. I understand how that works. I understand that the connection creates community. But sometimes oneness drives us to get rid of all the other ones that don't fit in. And humans are really good at that. I just saw something on PBS about Mussolini. Man, he was good at beginning. All the people who didn't fit in got rid of them. And then he wanted to master the world. So what did he invade? He invaded Ethiopia. And he felt like he was master of the world. And I'm thinking, really, Ethiopia? Oh, well. But that's how it works. So this, this oneness can lead to uniformity. And this community created through connectedness, you see, 
leads to having a choice, leads to being your own person. You don't need to be like everybody else, and even if we tried to be like everybody else, we couldn't. So this separation allows me to understand. It allows me to feel comfortable in different situations because I start to understand the components necessary for those situations to occur. And I'm not denying that at an ultimate level we're all interconnected and interdependent. But at an ultimate level we're also all different. And I like that. In Koreatown we have so many different kinds of restaurants. Can you imagine if we succeeded in uniformity and only had one restaurant? Man, after about a week of that, we'd all be on a diet. You know? So I see the separation as being necessary to intellectually understand a very complicated world, the world we live in right now. But I also see it as only being a relative truth, a relative reality. That there's another reality connected to that, which is the ultimate reality, which is the interconnectedness and interdependence of all phenomena, but we can't live there. We can't live there. It doesn't work for us because we're human. I cannot be one with that door. If I was one with that door, I could never leave. And that would really increase my suffering. So because I'm separate from the door, I realize I can exit or enter because I get to use the door because I know what a door is intellectually. At an ultimate level, no door. At a relative level, door. And my job is to use all the stuff I understand to be part of my relative reality in order for me to survive and be a little more comfortable. And being comfortable is getting more and more difficult because they're encouraging us to be comfortable in so many different ways. Now, next Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. Man, that's like one of the most important football days of the whole year. And I just happened to be in Best Buy. And you know what was on display? Big screen TVs. I'm talking 85 inches. This whole wall. So they could watch the game, be part of the game, merge with the game, be one with the game. But I'd rather be separate from the game so I could understand it and have a winner and a loser and have a score. Because if you're one with the game, none of that stuff exists. It's just stuff going on. Okay? So I see that as being really important, the idea that we have a problem with attachment and aversion because we are separate. Now, the second Zen guy, who was a Zen master, I don't even remember his name, but this was his quote. It's not so much about letting go. It's realizing everything will be taken away from you. Everything. Now, when I first read that, I was in my 30s and I'm going, I don't know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, you know? You know, but then I sort of moved in here and I became in charge of the cats and, you know, they kept dying. These little fur balls, you know, fat and fluffy, full of love and compassion. Well, maybe not love and compassion, but they were full of something. <laughs> and they just kept dying because they were 10 or 11. I'm thinking, already they're dying. You know, how do I let go of that? 
And then my father died. And whoa, you know? When the parents start to die, you start to realize that everything will be taken away from you, just ripped out of your hands forever. You go, man, okay. Then your mother dies. Both parents are gone. The ones responsible for you being here along with your karma. And they're both gone. And sometimes you wanted them to go a little faster, but most of the time you said, no, no, I want you to be around as long as you can. Because I like going home and being 20 again. Or being 16 again. And being told to take out the trash. And make your bed in the morning. You sort of miss that when you live alone. Because you take out the trash when you want to, and you never make your bed. It works out fine. So then you've got brothers and sisters, and then one of them might go. You go, wow, that, that Zen master was right on. It's not so much about realizing, it's, it is about realizing that everything will be taken away from you eventually, sooner or later. And then the last one to go is you. You have to go. Nature has decided that today's the day. And it's going to take you. Wow. And I don't care what kind of insurance you have or what kind of drugs you're taking or how much people love you or how good your golf game is. Man, when it's time to go, you're going. Now, we are blessed being human beings as when we wake up in the morning, today is never the day. I doubt if any of us got up today and said, today's the day. You know, and that's cool. That means we can think about past and future, and this is just another Dharma talk, and after this, I get lunch, and it'll be a wonderful day, and that kind of stuff. But you know what? It's getting, it's letting go of all the stuff that's being ripped out of that fist of yours that you've got closed. How do you look at this now? In any kind of rational Zen Buddhist way. The deal as I see it, if you think of your hand as an analogy, is we need to keep our hand open all through our life. We never close it. And if you keep your hand open all through your life, people will give you stuff. Cool. They will. They'll give you love or they'll give you lunch, give you a dollar for gas. They'll give you stuff. Okay. But if you close your fist, there's no place to put the stuff then. They can't give it to you. Okay? Now, the idea of not suffering is when it's finally taken out of your hand, like your pets and your parents. Okay, you don't close then either. Because every time you close your fist, you will suffer more, not less. You need to let it be gone. You need to let whatever is taking it, take it. And keep that hand open. So we suffer when we close the hand and make the fist and cling and hold on to it as long as we can. But nobody is strong enough to hold on to it forever. There is no forever in Buddhism. There is only now, and we have to let go of now to get to the next. But the next turns out to be now as well. It's really trippy. So, letting go. We can let go effortlessly if we are able to merge into the present moment experience of our life and no longer be separate, to be connected and interdependent. 
we need to be separate when we make the big decisions in our life, like walking across the street. Because if you're not there now and separate from that car that's racing at you at 80 miles an hour on a residential street, your life is over. You will neither be separate nor connected at that point. So there are times when it's necessary to be separate in order to survive. And there are times when it's necessary to be connected and interdependent for good mental health. And attachment and aversion, for me, are simply a symptom of desire. And the Buddha said, when we achieve nirvana, we end our desire. 